0: Let me have you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. We are going to finish up a portion of Scripture that we started two weeks ago. And uh, thank you for your prayers. I was out of town this last week, and uh, I do appreciate uh, Bill for showing up and stepping up. Thank you, brother, for bringing the word. Uh, I was watching online as it was transpiring. I was really excited and glad to see that many of you were here And for those of you that are still going to restaurants and eating at restaurants and finding that, you know, those are some of the things that you can do, but uh, still haven't found it in yourself to come to church, you know, (laughs) we have people here and we have plenty of space. You can actually uh, social distance here. Uh, I want to welcome you to be here. Uh, come, Come by as often as you can. Next Saturday, we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a bit. We're going to have our Seder. And uh, if you've been out to a restaurant where they've allowed you to gather outside, well, we're going to do the same thing here. So please, uh, if, if you're going to be here, let us know how many people are going to be here and uh, give us a count of uh, uh, what you can bring and, and we'll, uh, we'll fill you in on the rest. But anyways, Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading from, well, I'm going to start again from chapter, verses 1. I'm going to read all the way through to verse 14. And this is what Paul has been dealing with all this time. He's dealing with the church, actually a group of churches, a region. He's dealing with the region of people that have been influenced by outside teaching. They have committed their life to Christ. They have been serving in the church. And most of these people that were in these churches were from outside of the Jewish Jewish sect. Now, if you understand anything about biblical society at that time it was the Jews and everybody else. To them, the Jewish people were the chosen people from God and everyone else was considered a Gentile, meaning a barbarian or one that just has no understanding. And they had no understanding because they didn't get the Word from God like they did. One of the things that Paul is arguing, especially here, he says, you know, you are a chosen people, yes. You're right, but you were chosen for a purpose. Your purpose is to bless the nations and they can come to know who Jesus Christ is much later. And and so the, the argument is here at this point, these Judaizers or people that were Jewish people talking to Gentiles and Gentiles that have committed their life to Christ and have converted, been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and are now living a life of uh, celebrating and worshiping Jesus Christ and the resurrection, these Jewish people come in and say, "Well, before you can be fully on board Christians, you have to be Jewish first of all. You have to follow all the commandments. You have to follow all the traditions. There are certain things that have, <clears throat> excuse me, certain things that have to happen within your life, as far as uh, for the males, circumcision, and, uh, and and just all these various traditions." And so they're being placed, these rules and these laws are being placed upon them as burdens. And this is why when we go through the book of Galatians and we call this the freedom in Jesus, Jesus has given us that freedom to, to be able to worship Him and to love Him and not only to be able to love Him and worship Him as He has placed it within our hearts by the Holy Spirit, but to not have to carry on the whole burden of the law. The law, Paul will tell us, that if, you ha- if you're going to follow the law, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to follow every dietary law, worship on the Sabbath, or whatever the case is, you got to follow it all. And if you miss just one, then you have missed them all. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in, and He has taken the whole law, the whole sacrificial system, placed it upon Himself, and now it is our faith in Him that allows us to be justified in the eyes of, of God. And as I've said before, justified, it's the old Sunday school term that we used to use for kids, just if I'd never sinned. That's how you stand before God. Once you've committed your life to Christ, once He has regenerated your spirit, and once you understand that you are now righteous in His sight, you're justified. And so Paul is going through this righteousness uh, of faith or by faith. And he's trying to tell the people in Galatia that You don't have to follow these traditions and rules and laws anymore. What you need to do is follow what God is showing you. Follow what God has taught you. Follow the things that I have taught you, Paul says. If anyone comes to you with another gospel other than the one I taught you, even if it was an angel or anybody else, even if I came, he says, even if I came and tried to share with you a different gospel, that person needs to be anathematized. Cursed and cursed again. And so Paul is very adamant about this freedom that we have in Christ. But he's also sharing with us, and he'll tell us later on in chapter 5, on how we ought to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit and the the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and all those things, and not to walk by the flesh. So there's a responsibility that our freedom gives us. As we go further into Galatians, we'll see that. But let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-14. through I'll lead you in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into the faith it takes to have faith. Verse 1, and it reads like this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of scripture that you give us to meditate upon, to study, to understand, and to live it out within our own life. Help us to not only grab it emotionally, intellectually, but Father, personally, that gives us a personal application for our own life as well. So Father, we just thank you and we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of God. Of Abraham. What Paul is trying to get across here, if you go all the way back with me, and if you'd like to turn there to Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, I believe, excuse me, 12, we're going to go into 14 as well. But in Genesis, what Paul is talking about in Genesis back in the Old Testament, he says, you know, you have to understand one thing. When Paul, when, when Abraham was called, there, there was no law. There was, as a matter of fact, circumcision didn't happen until much later. And so, but yet. God called Abraham to leave his kinfolk, his country, his his people, and to go into a a territory that he knew nothing about. And in chapter 12 in, in Genesis, it says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what did Abraham do? Abraham didn't stop, didn't ponder, didn't say, you know, God, that's very good advice. Let me pray about it. You know, this this is very good uh, information. It'd be great. I'd like to be a great nation. I have no kids. I'm at a point right now where I don't know if I'll ever have kids. And yet God is saying, go. And Abraham, so what he does in verse four, so Abraham went. He was 75 years old. He says, okay, I believe God, and I'm going to go ahead and step out. One of the things that we tend to do is we see what the Word of God says. I've had people come into my office and share with me some of the lifestyles that they're living, some of the things that they're doing, and I share it with them, and I says, you know, here's what the Bible teaches. Here's what the Bible says. And inevitably, in one way or another, somehow they come out and they're saying something to the effect of, well, that's good advice. Let me pray about that. You know, God has just showed you what it is that you need to do. And and so therefore, you're just going to pray about that. And and this is what was taking place in the Old Testament. God would show up. People would be blessed. And and if you remember, after Abraham, Moses, the people in Egypt, they were called to go out into the wilderness. The promised land is ahead of you. Uh, Twelve spies were sent out and only two were ready to be able to to receive that promise. And the whole congregation was swayed by ten people. And God said, because of your disbelief, you will all die. Forty years they wandered, wandered in, the, in the wilderness. Forty years until they all died because they did not step out in faith. Now, God is still going to do what he's going to do. He'd rather do it with you. He'd rather you be along. He wants you to be there. That's why he is talking to you. But if not, it's okay. There's another generation to come. God has all the time in the world. Amen? That's right. In chapter 13, we find out, so Abraham went up from Egypt and we, we find out that there was a separation between Lot and Abraham because of their, uh, the, the, the herdsmen and the people that were kind of arguing. And so Abraham says, all right, where, where do you want to go, Lot? And Lot kind of looks over to Sodom and says, yeah, I like the pretty lights over there, I'll go that way. And when, what ended up happening was that uh, that Lot got captured with the, the, the countries there and Abraham went in and, and brought his nephew back with all his belongings. And the priest Melchizedek showed up and he says, Thank you so much, and we bless you. And Abraham tithed to him a tenth of everything that he owned. Once again, the law hadn't even been laid out. It's it's been taken care of and, and Abraham says, This is what I'm going to do. Here is how I'm going to bless you. In chapter 15, God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham is now <clears throat> close to 86 years old. And um in, 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 chapter, in chapter 15 verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. <clears throat> and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And the promise was given to him again. And Abraham, of course, he he was doubting. He's, He's almost 100 years old. He's 86 years old. He looks at his wife and we're past childbearing years. We can't have kids now. Lord, if if this is the person that's supposed to take on the inheritance or the the promise, well, then let it be. And God says, no, it's going to be through you and your wife. And he says, as a matter of fact, if you go outside, let's go outside. Have you ever tried to count the stars? I have. I mean, it's pretty simple when the sun goes down and it's dust, right? You can see the brightest star. There's one, there's 12 15, 16 stars, all of a sudden it starts getting a little bit darker, your eyes get a little bit more accustomed, oh yeah, how about that one? You know, I think I've gotten to about 100 and some, and by that time I've lost count. But when it gets pitch dark, you can see the clouds, when you're high up in the elevation, you can see the Milky Way, it almost looks as if they were clouds. That's how thick these stars are, and Abraham is looking at these stars, and God is sharing with them, this is how your life, this is how your life's going to turn out. These are the generations that are going to come before you. And somewhere along the line, God is talking to Abraham, sharing with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said in, uh, in John chapter, chapter 6, I believe, where he says, you know, Abraham was told about me and he rejoiced. Paul just said that the gospel was preached to Abraham and, and, and Abraham rejoiced, he saw the things that were going to take place. The the point that Paul is trying to make here is that Abraham was obedient, followed God way before the law was even made. And he says to the church, he says, you're saved by grace, by grace, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And so why are you trying to work for your salvation? Why is it that you feel that you have to do more? Why is it that you're trying to add all these regulations and, and laws upon you? Now, there is an element of responsibility that we have that we'll touch on here. But what Paul is trying to get across is before the law ever was, 500 years later, after Moses meets God up in the, in the desert, up in the mountain, he comes down with the commandments and lays them all out. 500 years later, uh, before Abraham is following God and giving his life in faith. He follows him in faith. Now the best description of what faith is is found in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, if you'd like to turn there with me as well, what what the writer is talking about here is is he's sharing with everyone on how this faith works, on how it is uh, the definition of faith. And many of you probably know this verse, you guys have uh, probably quoted it many times yourselves. i got to get used to this new Bible here. Chapter 11, verse 1. If you have the English Standard Version, uh, read it along with me. You might, you might even follow along with your translation as well. If not, we'll have it up on the screen here in just a little bit. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The writer starts to explain on how this faith worked. In the Old Testament, prior to Jesus Christ, how people were saved, how they were regenerated, they were made righteous. Because being made righteous is the equivalent of being born again. When you're born again, when you're regenerated, you are righteous before God. And a righteous individual, every righteous individual wants to please God with all that they have. Every righteous individual, what he does is he aspires to please God. He draws closer to God. He grows closer to God. He. There is just no denying the fact that there is something different in the person's life. Because when you're born again, you shouldn't be born right back to what you used to be. When you're born again, you're born into a brand new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. And the, the, the problem that a lot of people were having it was that, well, what happened to all the Old Testament people? If Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, and that was the way of being born again, how is it that the Old Testament people got to be righteous? How were they justified? How were they made uh, regenerated? How was it? Was it just, you know, willy-nilly, God says, you, you, and you, no. Know. People that God chose, these people believed, and they acted out in faith. They responded in faith. And so, The writer to the Hebrews is sharing with us. This is how it took place in the Old Testament. The Old Testament people looked ahead to Jesus Christ. The New Testament people now, we look back to Jesus Christ. And we all meet at the cross. We all meet at the cross. There was a gospel that was being preached prior to the the cross. There is a gospel that is being preached right now because of the cross. And it all meets at the cross. This next week this whole passion week that we're going to be involved in and it's it just to me it saddens me that easter is easter not resurrection sunday it saddens me that families will will do what they can to make sure they get the right spot at the lake or at the picnic tables at the parks or whatever the case may be and to celebrate this horrific event that took place on friday but this, this honorable, this, this glorious event that came out of that on Sunday. And, and they take that time, they take that whole weekend to celebrate just a, a huge party. Oh yeah, Jesus died and resurrected. Yes, but let's go barbecue. Let's go party. Let's, you know, I was part of that. I was. The fact of the matter is that Christ gave his life willingly for us. And that's what the Old Testament points to. That's what the New Testament points to. And we all meet at the cross. And Paul says this now all together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That describes what faith is in one sentence. In your outlines, the assurance of things hoped for, a hope so real that it gives me absolute assurance. A hope so real that it gives me absolute assurance. God told them of the coming Messiah, a deliverer who would take away the sin. He told them that one day all Israel will be made clean he, uh, and, and be ruled by this righteous Messiah. God's faithful believed God's promises. They looked forward to Messiah. And it's, it's, it saddens me as well that some people are still looking for Messiah. When we celebrate Passover next Sunday, we're not celebrating to be uh, Jewish. We are Taking Passover, the Seder, the, the order of the service, when we, pa- we celebrate that, we're seeing every element on how it points to Jesus Christ. And why others can't see that, I, I, it's those without the Spirit are spiritually discerned. It's all foolishness to them because they do not understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. That is what faith is. They, they had this great idea, this deal of a specific light that was going to be uh, around, everywhere else, and that's what faith is. Faith is living in a hope that is so real, it gives absolute assurance. Hope is not a a wish. Well, I I wish that this would happen. I hope that that would happen. Hope is an assurance I know is going to happen. And when you have that type of faith, and you have that type of faith in the Old Testament, even now in the New Testament era, we look back and we see that everything that we do, we, we basically operate on faith. We have to have faith. Later on, God's going to, uh, the writer is going to tell us without faith it's impossible to please God because you have to believe that He exists. You have to believe that He created everything. You have to, cre- you have to believe that all these things took place, as he's going to describe here in just a little bit, that, that everyone that followed God believed that God was speaking to them and showed them what they needed to do, and they followed in obedience. And unfortunately, they don't have a whole list of all the believers of, in chapter 11. These are the promises of the Old Testament. Faith is not a wishful longing of something that may come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. True faith is an absolute certainty, often of things that the world considers unreal or sometimes even impossible. How could Jesus Christ resurrect from the dead? Nobody's ever resurrected from the dead. How is he going to come back? How are these things going to take place? And the Bible has been spot on every single time. For 1,900 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ for 1900 years people will ask the question well how are these nations in Ezekiel supposed to uh, infiltrate Israel if Israel's not even a nation how are all these things going to take place if you know Israel's not even there how are they going to get plundered how are they going to be taken away how are how's everybody else going to be uh, you know just turning their back on Israel when Israel's not even in on the map And then 1948 happened. Israel became a nation. All these things started to unfold ever since then. And and so, again, history has proven, the church, the Bible has proven that history is is unfolding before our eyes. The prophecies of Scripture, it's all coming to fruition. Let me just throw another one in there. You know, it's kind of unrelated, but still related to the end times. We've always said, people have always said in the past, how, how is the Antichrist system going to know what we're buying or selling? How, how in the world are they ever going to know? Well, you know the answer to that one now. The government gives us money on, on stimulus packages. They know your checking account. They know what you have. They know who you are. They, the, the, the cards that we use are all programmed. You know this, right? I mean, one day we went to Costco here a couple, few years ago and we came back home a couple of days later. They called me. Oh, by the way, that yogurt you just purchased, you got to throw it away or bring it back. It's, it's, uh, it's contaminated. We said, all right. And I hung up the phone. I says, wait, how did they know that I bought yogurt? <laughs> how, did, how did they know to call me? They got your number, beloved. They do. And it is amazing on how and people were always asked the question, how is the system, that system going to be able to control us in that manner? It's there. Everything is in place. And so as we look forward, as we look backwards, first of all, to Christ and we look forward to his second coming, we know that those are the things that we hold on to by faith. We hold on to that and all we have is God's word. All we have is what he has put right here. This is why I want to share with you what the Word of God says, because this, beloved, is our guiding principle. Now, I've been told that God has spoken to certain people and said something different, and I I won't accept an outside source. I'm sorry, I won't accept the source that somebody says, well, I got a revelation from God. Beloved, revelation is right here. Everything I need to know is from cover to cover. It's here. It's done. It's been revealed. Now, every once in a while, you'll be reading something and you'll, you'll think it's a revelation, but it's always been there. What that is, beloved, is it illumination. The Holy Spirit just brought light to it and brought it into your life. And you say, oh, that's what that says. And you might get all excited about it because it became vivid for you. It became real, it became real to you. And when you see that and you act on it, you're acting on faith. This is what we have and we will stick to it. Outside revelation, if it agrees with God's word, I don't need it. And if it doesn't agree with God's word, of course, I don't want it. And so there are various types of ways of infiltrating or trying to get in. But going back to what I was saying here, that the assurance, the assurance of just being absolutely certain that these things are going to take place. Abraham did the same thing. Uh, Abel, we'll see here in just a little bit, says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, how did he know that that sacrifice was acceptable? I'm sure God told him, I want a blood offering. But Cain says, but, but I'm a farmer. I, I don't have animals. I have fruits. I'll bring you some, I'll bring you some fruit. I'll bring you something, you know, so, you know, in a hurry. And from the very beginning, it's been that way. This is the first murder. And did you know that it was the murder of one brother, of another, that he killed them? during worship or because of worship. It's been dividing. Satan's used that since the beginning. And, and uh, in verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Uh, I mean, There's all kinds of teaching in here. You know, you know as a matter of fact, I, I've been told that the, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And therefore, it doesn't exist. And so, yeah, uh, the Latin term, rapturas is, you know, I mean, it's, it's Latin and, but it's not in the Bible. The taking up is, and I says, the rapture's been happening for years. I mean, it's happened. Enoch was taken up you know this is what it doesn't say that he was actually taken up he, he walked with God and then he was not well you got to know the rest of your scripture if you return to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 it'll tell you that he was taken up in the same manner that the church in Thessalonica will be taken up as Paul is telling us don't call it the rapture thing, call it the taking upness I don't care but it's gonna happen Jesus says I'm going to prepare a place for you when I come back I'm gonna take you with me you know it's it, it's there But you want to stop and and not accept it? Well, you know, I'm just telling you, there it is. Anyways, we keep going. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. What, What the writer does is he goes and he explains all of these people that acted on faith. When you act on faith, it is accounted to you. It is credited to you. It is paid onto your account, and you are made righteous. You are made righteous. It's, it's not only a hope so real, it gives me absolute assurance, but it's a hope so real that I live out my convictions, that I live out my convictions. You see, you can have all these assurances and you can have all this understanding of what might happen, but if you don't live it out, you really don't have that hope. Convictions the things not seen, it carries the same truth a little bit further. The person of faith has to live out his beliefs. You can't just say, I believe in God. You, you, I mean, everybody says, I believe in God. You cannot just say, I go to church. Everybody can say, I go to church. I have a church. Some people say, my church is the outdoors. I don't have to go in to church to worship. I can worship anywhere I want. My first question is, well, when's the last time you actually did that? Well, I could. If I really wanted to, I could. I guess you could. But the fact of the matter is, beloved, you need a body. And as Ken was saying here a little while ago, we used to have this time in between the message and, you know, and, and the, the music. It, it was an opportunity to have to escape before it came up. And uh, those that just wanted to come for the music. But we'd get up, we'd be shaking hands and hugging on each other. And, you know, I'd have to break it. Up. Hey, guys, it's enough. We, we have coffee for that afterwards. Come on. I'd have to break it up because there, there's that, that warmth in the body that each one of us need. I like the way somebody described it here just recently. You know, it's good to come to church and see faces, the real faces. Real bodies. You live out those convictions. You, you want to congregate with like-minded believers. You don't want to congregate with unlike-minded believers. You, you want to congregate with people that that believe you and, and trust God and, and work together to help you work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, but work it out with fear and trembling. Your desire is to grow more, is to, to live more and to love more. God. And his people and to forgive and and to encourage it's living it out the natural man cannot do that the natural man is is appalled by the things of God and we've been talking about this now for several weeks that the the church is going to be persecuted not because it's a church or not because you're Christian the church is going to be persecuted because you're an enemy of the state because you're not falling in line with the laws of the land you're going to be persecuted because of the things that are taking place out there don't coincide with the things that you preach or teach here in the church. We are being told that we're spreading hate speech because we're not all-inclusive. And it's this is the conviction that this faith brings. And beloved, as I said before, you know, it's it to me, I, I just, while I was in the hospital, I, I didn't, I saw that. I saw that people just were folding, worried, just it, 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 was, it was almost scary. I'm thinking, my God. And, and I came out of there with a whole different mindset. And I want to help you to build this faith in your life. And, and one of the first things that we need to know is, well, where did this faith come from? Where does this faith come from? Well, we all have faith. All of us have some sort of faith. We, you had faith that you're going to get here. You know, you look at the pews and they say, oh, these pews will hold me. You have faith that they'll hold you up. There was a time that that wasn't true. You know, we had to redo everything. But, uh, you know, there was times that we we'd go through the, the stage. Uh, you know, you, you had faith. You have faith every time that you go to the, the hospital. Those that have taken the vaccination, you have faith that it's going to take care of you. Those that are, are you know, you're, you're wearing masks, and I thank you for that. And for those of you that, that feel comfortable doing that, continue to do so. But you have faith that that's going to... Per- we have faith, all, and we exercise it all the time. But the saving faith, that saving faith is not something that you can muster up. You yourself muster it up. You yourself cannot get that kind of faith. There is a... script In Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you look here with me. In your outline, it says, verses 7 and 9, To each is given the manifestation of the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is identifying faith as a spiritual gift. And he says, some people get wisdom, some people get knowledge, some people get faith. It's not like some all people. There are some people don't have any wisdom and don't. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I have a brother. Okay, never mind. But anyways, uh, it's not that you don't have any knowledge and only certain people get knowledge. You get this this spiritual gift of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith. And, and it's a definitely, of course, not this gift of uh, faith and wisdom and knowledge that only certain people get. So it's, it's a spiritual gift that, that enables you to, to be able to pray in faith. And some people can just say, you know, God, this is what we see happening in your kingdom. And because we see this happening, because I see this happening, the faith that you've given me, I can see it materializing amongst us. Give us the patience and the ability to see it as well. Let everyone else see that you are the one that is going to make this happen, not because of what I prayed, not because of what I say, but because of who you are. And this person of faith can stand there and say, this is how it's going to turn out. And, and, but that's where, that's where part of this, the, the, this, the, that, that type of faith comes from. In verse 11, he goes on to say, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God gives, as He says, He seems fit. And so that's the spiritual gift of faith. But you see this saving faith, as Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, nor not of your own doing. It's not your own faith. It's not the faith that you can muster up. It is the gift of God, not a a result of works so that no one can boast. This faith is what God gives you to respond to the message of the gospel. Look what Peter says to the the church that he was sending the letter to. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It is God that gave him that faith. If you look on the back of your outlines in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given or that God has assigned. God assigns this measure of faith. God gives you this faith. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not because of what you can do. You're not saved because of your own faith because you have faith that medicines are going to cure you, that the seats are going to hold you up, that you're going to get here and home safely. It's not that type of faith. It's the faith that God is working within you. As a matter of fact, if you go down to verse uh, chapter 10 of Romans, verse 17, Paul just sums it up. He says, so faith comes from hearing. That's where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, not the world, but hearing, what? Through the word of Christ. Faith comes comes to you when you hear the word of Christ. Now, we have the word of Christ right here. As we stated earlier, that this is a closed revelation. We believe in a closed closed revelation canon, meaning that there's nothing else coming in. So the word of Christ, the word of Jesus Christ, is what gives us faith. And he goes on to say, this is why you got to go tell them. How are they going to hear if nobody preaches to them? How's nobody going to preach if somebody goes? This is why we have to be the ones to share the gospel with people. And, and we, and if, and if God is going to give them the faith, He's going to give it to them through the word of Christ, not by anything I do. I cannot convince anybody. I cannot woo anybody. I cannot beg anybody. I can't make them listen to me. I can't. I can't even do that to my own kids, let alone somebody else. Right? Am I right? (laughs) Those of you with children. But, you know, we, we, we stand in faith. We know that this is going to happen, right? Lord, it's going to happen. And unfortunately for some people, they say, well, I I'm not afraid to share that with somebody because what if they reject me? They're not rejecting you, beloved. They're not rejecting what your personality. What they're rejecting is the gospel. And what we ought to do is pray even harder for them. Lord, just deal with them in such a way that they recognize that you are the saving grace. They need this saving grace. We all do. How do I exercise this faith? Oh, you know what? We got to get back to Galatians then. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. You see, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. I know it's going to happen, so I'm going to live it out. I'm going to step out like Abraham did. And in spite of what I think is happening and how it's going to all turn out, I don't know, but God has called me and I'm stepping out. And we need to step out. Now, did Abraham fumble and fall? Of course he did. He ended up in Egypt. You know, there was a famine. He believed that God wasn't going to be able to provide for him. And he took his wife into Egypt. And he says, you know what? You're so beautiful, they're going to probably kill me and take you because I'm your husband. Tell them I'm your brother. You know, he lied before he even got there. Well, God dealt with Pharaoh, caused this huge Plague and stuff upon his life and he comes up to Abraham what did you do I says well I lied I was afraid you're gonna kill me well you're right I should have killed you <laughs> I'm just taking your wife but but now you know and so he says you know what pick up your stuff and leave God used that I, I'm not advocating that you go out and lie and uh you know don't do that Abraham wasn't uh a man of very good character as a matter of fact we will find out later if you read the book of Genesis, that uh, even after God had promised him, no, it's not going to be by your servant there. Uh, it's going to be by your child. And Sarah says, well, you know, why don't you uh, take my, my, my maidservant and have a child through him? And I mean, it was a custom to do that. So he says, okay, I'll do that. And uh, he, he went and had a child through him. And that's what created Ishmael, the Arab nations. Again, went up against God's, <laughs> God's promise. Was, was Abraham totally faithful? No. Am I totally faithful? I, I need to apologize if I've ever made that claim, or at least made you think that I am perfect. Because find out, you can talk to Bill, or you can talk to Ken; they'll tell you, all right. Uh, and, and that's not me. I, I know that I'm a vile, wicked sinner. I know that my heart is deceitful beyond cure. I know that. I know that I am not the man of of, of purity or of of even humility. But I know that I have been saved by grace. And because I have been saved by grace, I I strive to those areas. And that gives the illusion that I, I guess, walk on water. I don't know, but I don't. That gives the illusion that I got my life all perfect and I don't. It, It might give that illusion because I don't stress over those things that most people stress over. I don't I don't fret over the things that happen within my own family in my job in our home I, you know those things we just pray about it and say okay Lord we have faith that you're going to take care of all this and I pray that you take care of it the way I wanted to be taking care of God but it's on you you know all I'm all I'm going to do is just draw closer to you and, and and sometimes it'll happen in your life as you are striving to serve and to to love God you will be called out and says well you think you're better than us and I pray in the same response, look, I'm the last person that would ever say that. Where that came from, I don't know. Abraham sure wasn't perfect. But he says here in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul goes back, he, he, I, I love the way he does this, always goes back to the word. This is what the word says. He was a master at that. He knew where it was all at. He interpreted it. He brought it in, put, put it into practice. This is the, the principle that you need to live by. If you're going to live by the law, okay, if, you, if you're going to try to be circumcised, if you're going to try to come to church on Saturdays, and, and if you're going to stop eating pork, please don't stop eating pork, uh, you know, carnitas. Uh, if you're gonna, don't tell me to stop doing that. Um, you know, if you're going to stop, if you're going to do all those things, you got to do them all. Every single one, every jot and tittle you have to follow. If you miss one, you've missed them all. That's the beauty behind the peace of Christ, the freedom in Jesus. And then he goes on to say, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. You just said that we should be obedient, we should follow. Yes, you need to be obedient. Yes, you need to follow what God is saying. Yes, you need to do that. But you don't do that for your salvation. You need to work out your salvation. You do that because you're saved. You do that because it's an act of obedience. It's an act of worship. I really do appreciate what Ryan and Suzanne do as they lead us into worship. I really do. But that's not worship. I mean, okay, let me back up a little bit. That's not all worship. Music is a big part of worship. But worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something you do every day. We talk about this. It's, it's, the time right now is to come together with the song. And, and some of you might like it, and some of you may not. But you know what? This is, this is what we do on Sunday mornings, to bring these songs as they did in the synagogues and in the temple. and they, we, we come together and we agree in unison as we sing these songs and we lift them up to God. We agree that these words are true and, and we believe these in conviction and we want to leave, live these as well. But worship. Genuine worship is every day. Every day as you're doing this. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And how is that? How do we do that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, I just read, right after that, that, it's by grace that you're saved. In verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship. God has been working in you, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, there's that... It's almost that paradox. Well, wait a minute. You're saying it's all done by grace and we're, yeah, we're saved by grace. As a matter of fact, people have had a problem with Ephesians and then James as well. Because James tells us, excuse me. James tells us, you have faith. I have deeds. Okay. Show me your deeds and I'll show you my faith. Because faith without deeds is dead. And so we're looking at Ephesians chapter two and we say, well, wait a minute, It says right here. It's not by works. James is saying it's by works. You see, Paul is talking to new converts, new believers. James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he's talking to mature Christians. You cannot walk around saying that you are a Christian if there is no fruit. If there's no fruit in your life. And fruit can be growing, developing, getting closer to God. There's got to be visible fruit because you will know them by their fruits. That's what Jesus said. You'll know them by their fruits. And if you claim to be a Christian, then what we need to do is we need to, okay, you know, there's some fruit that just doesn't look good. You know, and I want to help you, brother, to to prune that stuff. Get rid of it before the tree is cut down. Prune it. And, And so we are saved by grace. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to walk in that work that God has prepared us for. So how do I exercise that faith? Well, I've got to follow in obedience. And God is not going to come up to you today in a dream, in a vision, in a revelation. God is not going to come to you in in, in somebody else speaking truth into your life because it's all right here. This is it. This is what we mean by closed revelation. You know, uh, people tell me, oh, I I don't understand what the Bible says. Well, do you you understand the part where it says don't lie? He says, well, yeah, well, don't do that. Pretty simple. You know the part where it says love your enemies? Yeah, well, do that. That's just simple. You know the part where it says uh, do not get angry with your brother or otherwise you commit murder? Yeah, you know that part where it says do not lust after a woman or you've committed adultery? Yeah, okay. Now there's four things right there that I bet would keep you busy for the rest of your life. If you just grab those four things, it'll keep you busy for the rest of your life. Don't tell me you don't understand the word. Get into it. God will show it to you. Fair warning. Once again, the man without the Spirit cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They are spiritually discerned. There's no way that this type of faith is going to make sense in your life if the Holy Spirit Himself isn't giving it to you. There's no way that that's going to make sense because it's foolishness. It's not anything that you can muster up yourself. He says here, "The faith, the righteous shall live by faith." That's how. That's what Moses did. That's what Abel did. That's what Enoch did. That's what all these heroes of faith did. Prior to the gospel, they operate on faith and they believed, and they had this assurance this absolute assurance and they lived out their convictions and they lived out their convictions because knowing that God is in control and we talk about the end times we talk about the things that are going to happen Paul says encourage one another as you see the day approaching do not neglect the gathering of the saints do not neglect this gathering don't do that you have to gather with the saints and I hope you understand that when I say saints, I'm not saying that you're perfect, right? You know, you're, you're, you're not pure. Right? We understand that. A saint is a called out one. It's a member. It's a called out one. Called to be holy. You know, like St. Ryan, you know, St. Bill. I'm glad nobody hears his name, St. Bernard. I don't know. Maybe we would stop at that point. Uh, even for St. Teresa, or, you know, you are a saint, not the canonized saint from the churches, but you are a saint called out. And the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. The law is something that we have to try to accomplish. The law was given to us so that we can see that we need a Savior. We need to see that we cannot do it without God. Because if you can do it without God, if you can follow all these rules, if you can just be good enough to get into heaven, then what Jesus Christ did on the cross was a waste of time. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, you know, there's been some controversy over this section. Well, see, he wasn't crucified on a cross. He was crucified on a tree. You know, it was a tree. And Peter even says it was a tree. And so, was it a cross or was it a tree? And people are going, you know, left and right and bananas. <laughs> The cross, well, first of all, crucifixion was just so common back then. It happened all the time. Hundreds of people would get crucified over a week in thousands. One day they crucified 3,000 people. I mean, just to show, look, this is what happens to people that try to go up against the government. Romans loved crucifying people. So when Jesus Christ was crucified, there's no explanation. There's nothing in the Bible telling us how it happened, except for the fact that he was nailed by his hands and his feet. You know, was it a cross? Was it an X? Was it a, a tree? he was crucified. There's no definition as to how it was crucified. What we know about the crucifixion is from outside sources on how those things took place. That's how Mel Gibson was able to put together such a fine uh, replica of the crucifixion and how it took place. He got the outside sources. The fact of the matter is, is that he was crucified on a piece of wood. This is what Paul is trying to get across. This is what the writers of the Old Testament... And he's trying to connect the Old Testament. They used to hang people on trees after they died. They wouldn't hang them to, die, to kill them. To die them? They wouldn't hang them. You know, they, they, would, they would stone them first, and after they were dead, then they would hang them on a tree to show that this person was cursed. And the idea of what Paul is trying to get across here is that Jesus Christ became a curse for you and me. He took on my sin. This is why I I continually say, you know, I'm I'm a vile, wicked sinner. I am. And and I'm saved. he took my sin, put it on the cross, and therefore I no longer have that sin. And I've been saved because of what he did for me. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you go over this portion of Scripture, you'll see that Paul in these 14 verses talks about faith 12 times. In the same manner that we did the gospel in the first few verses of, of the chapter 1 and 2, he talks about the gospel over 15 times. Faith, faith, faith. He's trying to get this across to people. Look, it's not by what you're doing. You cannot get saved by coming forward, getting baptized. You cannot get saved by, by just coming to church, giving your money. You, can't. you live this life in faith. Faith in what? Faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. Why I have that kind of faith? Well, let me see it. Show it. Live it. I don't mind you saying, put your money where your mouth is. It's exactly what he's asking you to do. Put your money where your mouth is. Everybody talks a good talk until persecution happens. Everyone can talk a good talk until something hard or bad happens. Then all of a sudden, why, God, why? Because you're a Christian. Because you can take it. Because you can endure. You should be persevering. I'm going to do something bigger and greater than just you. How do you know? See, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you know, we thank God, our father of compassion, our God of all comfort, who rescues us, who comforts us during our tribulations so that we in turn can comfort others. Sometimes the things that you go through, as you shared with us, Bill, this last week, sometimes the things that you guys go through in life, it's not about you. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's happening to me. Yeah, it's happening to you, but it's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you in that mess. He wants to make a take that mess and make a message out of it. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make a message out of your life. And unfortunately, or fortunately, or whether you like it or not, You've given him permission to do that, okay? That's the sanctification process that we'll talk about as we go along here. That's the process that God works through your life to get all that stuff out of you, to get you ready to be glorified in heaven. So when you sign on board, you know, and I hope nobody told you, well, you know, just come to Jesus, everything will be fine, everything is going to be good. Yeah, (laughs) it's not going to happen. Okay. You say you're a Christian. Okay, now I got to get rid of the world. The world is the hardest part to get rid of. That's the part that just holds on, and people hold on to. And and you know what? That's that's where God's going to challenge you. Live out your faith in obedience. Let me ask you to stand. The kind of faith it takes to have faith is the faith that comes from God. And we live it out, knowing every day that it is God who has given us the faith to live this day out. Every morning we wake up, we take it for granted. And I pray that most of you probably don't. I pray that you stand and, and you you pray, and you thank God for another day. Thank you, Lord. I can breathe. I'm alive. I'm well. Many, many of you know people that, that have gone on before us. They can't say that anymore. Appreciate the day. Thank God for the day. Give God the glory. Let him see and let others know that you are a light. That you have been created a workmanship for good works. That you are the salt of the earth so that they can glorify your Father in heaven. Father in heaven, we know that saving faith is all by grace. We don't deserve it, but you give it to us. And this grace, Father, that that is undeserved, this faith that is able to save us has been applied to those that, that you have called and you have chosen and that you have redeemed. And every person, Father, that has heard the message and has been transformed from the inside out, every person that has given their life to serving you will be challenged. You promised us that in this world we will experience tribulation, but you've also promised That we should not fear for you overcome the world we know that they persecuted you and the prophets that they will persecute us as well and so Lord we need to take the stand in faith and know that you're gonna see us through and I pray father that each one of us as we work out that faith with fear and trembling that we work out our salvation that we work out that what you've done within our lives that we become that new creation we're no longer that old creation and that we move forward so father thank you once again for the challenge within our own life as we work together to reach your nation, your people. So thank you, Father, for all that you do, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. All together, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? All All right. Thank you. We are dismissed.